What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. Conference Championship Weekend is in the books. We got 49ers Chiefs in Super Bowl 58. The Ravens laid a dud. The Detroit Lions had a super huge collapse. You're up 24-7, and you come out in the second half and get outscored 27-7? How embarrassing. And, you know, I'm going to be 100 with you guys. I'm really hurt tonight. I know that I really shouldn't be getting this emotional about sports, especially with me not playing, me just being a spectator. But this is going to be a shorter live stream than normal because... I am a little bit bummed out that Lamar Jackson didn't get it done. I know I'm a Steelers fan. I should be rooting against the Ravens, but I'm a diehard Lamar Jackson fan. A lot of you guys say that I glazed Lamar Jackson. I got too much likeness towards him, but Lamar Jackson is from the area that I reside in. He's a Florida boy. I'm from Florida, and I've been watching Lamar Jackson ever since his freshman season at Louisville. And for him to have... The opportunity to not only change his legacy, but to capture a Super Bowl was huge. And the fact that the Ravens didn't come through today, it really has me hella upset. But I'm going to give you guys my thoughts on the AFC and NFC championships. Also going to give you guys my early thoughts on the Super Bowl Later on in this episode, also got some things to say about Sharon Moore being named the full-time head coach of Michigan and why nobody has hired Bill Belichick as their head coach. Before we begin, if you haven't already, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Remember that we're not just a YouTube channel. We are a podcast and you can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. Give us a five-star review, share the pod with your friends, family members, and acquaintances if you enjoy and Let's get into it. So let's start off with this. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs defied all odds this season. You know, before the playoffs began, most people felt like Kansas City, at best, was going to go no further than the divisional round. Their offense didn't look that good for the majority of the regular season. And this probably is the least talented team that the Chiefs have had under the Mahomes-Andy Reid era that has made it to the Super Bowl. But what's funny is that, and I was telling a friend of mine this a couple of minutes ago, the best team doesn't always win the Super Bowl. You think about those stacked Patriots teams, the ones that lost to Eli Manning and the Giants twice. They had Wells Walker, Randy Moss, prime Tom Brady, tons of future Hall of Famers, and yet they got upset by the Giants twice. And ironically, the last recent Super Bowls that Brady and Bilicek won together, those teams weren't super stacked offensively. But the reason why the Patriots were able to win those Super Bowls despite being at a talent disadvantage is because, for one, they were always well coached. Two, Tom Brady and Bill Bilicek, you always knew that they were going to show up no matter how big the game was, no matter how big the moment, they were always going to come through. And you see the exact same similarities with this Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid dynasty in Kansas City. You see, Patrick Mahomes 
This is the best that he's played in the postseason in his whole entire career. It's like he just went into a different bag in this playoff run. Kansas City's defense has been fantastic all season, but this may have been the best defensive performance that we've ever seen out of all the years that Steve Spagnola has been the defensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Lamar and this offense, they just got completely bottled up. They scored only 10 points. This is the worst offensive performance that B-more has had at home all season long. You got to remember that the biggest concern that many of us had about Kansas City being able to make it to the Super Bowl was the fact that they only had one home game. They had to go on the road and win in Buffalo, go on the road and win in Baltimore, a place where Baltimore technically dominates. And Kansas City, to their credit, they weren't the more talented team than Baltimore, They, but they were more well-coached. They were more prepared. Patrick Mahomes showed us all why he still is the king of the NFL. He outplayed Lamar Jackson, and they were ready for the big moments. You see, Baltimore, you can tell that this was their first AFC championship with Lamar at the helm because Kansas City... They were emotionally composed. They didn't have any penalties that came out of emotions like how the Baltimore Ravens did. You had Lamar Jackson getting frustrated on the sidelines. You had the unnecessary roughness penalty by Pat, by Roquan Smith. Zay Flowers had a penalty. And he had a costly fumble when he was trying to extend the score. The Ravens just weren't ready for this game. You see, Kansas City, they came out doing what got them there. They came out doing what had success against the Miami Dolphins in Buffalo. That was playing complimentary football, running the football, great defense, and Mahomes doing what Mahomes does best. They didn't forget who they are. You see, the Ravens have been the team that, yes, Lamar Jackson has had a lot of incredible performances throwing the football. But this is not a team that is equipped to win by going old school air raid. Do you know how many handoffs the Ravens gave their running backs in this game? Only six. Gus Edwards, Justice Hill only touched the ball a combined total of six times. We didn't even hear Dalvin Cook's name. Lamar Jackson only air carries for 50 something yards. Kansas City was blitzing the hell out of Lamar Jackson. They were not going to allow Lamar Jackson to become Superman in this ball game for the Baltimore Ravens. You see, Lamar Jackson, he made some really bad decisions in this game. That last interception that he threw to close this game off in the triple coverage was one of the worst decisions that I've seen Lamar make all season long. But you can't put all of this lost on him. Because if it wasn't for Lamar... The Ravens probably lose this game 24-3 because him and Zay Flowers were the only people on this offense that showed up in this ball game. Hell, even Todd Munkin didn't show up. Like, his play calling has been stupendous all season. He's been fantastic at making sure that this Ravens offensive attack has been able to be balanced. Complimentary football is what the Ravens have done better than any other team in the National Football League this year. But in today's game, we didn't see complimentary football being played at all. They came out and they said, you know, we're going to go Lincoln Riley, Mike Leach, and we're just going to throw the rock all over Kansas City. And it backfired in their face. 
the games that the Ravens have lost at home this season mostly have been due to them not being able to win the football. And the last time they lost the game that they've been unable to run the rock successfully was when they lost early in the season to Deshaun Watson when he was still healthy starting at quarterback for the Browns. The Ravens are a team that still is going to win and lose games the majority of times based on how dominant they are on the ground. And when you bottle up the run game, you make this offense one-dimensional, you put a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson and these receivers to make plays. I don't think Lamar Jackson played a terrible game. Was it a good game? Absolutely not. And he definitely got outplayed and outclassed by Patrick Mahomes, but the receivers and the supporting cast and the play calling definitely let him down also. And this was a conservative effort. Baltimore, this was their D-plus performance on offense. Their defense showed out in this game. They held Kansas City to only 17 points. And they gave the offense every opportunity to find a way to turn it around. But anytime the Ravens were able to just get a little bit of momentum offensively, they always did something to lose it. Rather, if it was the Zay Flowers fumble, if it was the Lamar Jackson interception, that Lamar Jackson INT was the game sealer. At that point, you knew that the Ravens defense, they weren't going to be able to get Mahomes and company off the field when it mattered. And we saw... Patrick Mahomes make that big play on third and long to MVS. Ironically, Kansas City missed on a similar play during the season to MVS when they needed him to make a big catch downfield. He was wide open, but he dropped the ball. It's good to see the second go around. They woe the MVS late in the game, and he comes through for him. You see, that play right there, What's the definition of having that championship experience and that coming back to play? No matter how left the season looked like it was going to go for Kansas City, Mahomes and Andy Reid still had all the confidence in the world and the wide receivers that they had on that squad. And Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, hell, I thought he was washed. But this playoff run has been one of the best that he's had statistically. He showed up in every single game during this playoff run for Kansas City. And no matter if he retires or chooses to come back for another season, he still is going to be arguably a top three, top five tight end in the game if he comes back for one more season next year. But I have a strong suspicion that he's going to hang it up. But Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Isaiah Pacheco, Rasheed Rice, the star players that Kansas City has been reliant upon all season long have delivered for them all throughout the postseason this year, and they came through in the biggest moments during this AFC championship win. That's what a championship football team is. It's not all about who's the most talented. It's about rising to the occasion. Like we've seen Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and that Patriots dynasty do so many times in the past. And now we're seeing ghosts from the past with this Patch Mahomes and Andy Reid, Kansas City Chiefs dynasty. Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, in third down situations, they weren't able to get it done. Critical downs late in the game when Lamar Jackson needed to put the Ravens in position to make this a one-score game, he wasn't able to get it done. Is this an MVP season that has gone in vain? I don't think so. You look back at Lamar Jackson, 
If he was to retire five years from now and you think about his career, you will remember him for being one of the most dominant quarterbacks of the past decade. All right, when Lamar Jackson is on, he's on. But you'll look back at this career and you'll say there was a lot left on the table. And if Lamar Jackson never wins a Super Bowl, you're going to go back to this game. You're going to go back to when he threw that interception to triple coverage and you're going to say, that's Lamar Jackson that I remember. You see, nobody cares about what you do in the regular season. People, once you reach a certain level as a quarterback and you're Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, or Joe Burrow, hell, even CJ Stroud, if you already have solidified yourself as an elite quarterback in the game, nobody gives a damn about your regular season accolades. What you do in the postseason is what defines you as a player. It's what defines your legacy. The reason why Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer is because of how great he has been and the New York Giants Super Bowl wins and their incredible historic playoff performances that he's put on display. Playoff Eli is way different from the Eli Manning that you see in the regular season. Elite players step up in the biggest games on the biggest stage and Lamar Jackson didn't do that. Now, Lamar Jackson, I'm not saying that he's never going to get to another Super Bowl, but this was his best opportunity to get to one. And of course, he's going to say, we're going to be back next year. And Ravens fans are going to expect to be back next year. And that definitely should be the expectation. But the AFC is so crowded with elite quarterbacks that you may not ever get back to this game if you're the Baltimore Ravens. You see, making it to a Super Bowl is hard enough. And getting yourself into the conference championship game and this tough of a conference is something that you can only do if you have a Hall of Fame level head coach like the Chiefs do and Andy Reid and the all-time great quarterback in Patrick Mahomes and just a different mentality in the fourth quarter. You see, for how great Lamar Jackson is, one thing that I never think about Lamar Jackson when somebody brings his name up to me is his ability to step up in the fourth quarter of games. I can't remember the last time Lamar Jackson has engineered a four-quarter comeback. Two minutes left in the game. The Ravens are down six. They need Lamar Jackson to drive them downfield to get the game-winning score to seal the victory. I don't think of Lamar Jackson for being clutch. I think of Lamar Jackson for being a super dynamic quarterback that can do everything outside the step up and the big moments. You see, the Ravens got way too emotional in this game. They weren't being disciplined. They weren't being calm and focused, and that's what killed them. When he threw that interception, the triple coverage, that was an emotional decision. He wanted to get it all right then and there instead of just taking what the defense gave him. OBJ, where was he at? He was a no-show in this game. They, they're paying him, what, $18, $19 million this season? And yeah, he made a couple of big plays throughout the year, but in the playoffs, he's been kind of ghost. Mark Andrews, he was healthy. He suited up. The way he played, you would have thought that he still was on IR. Nobody on this Ravens offense other than two players stepped up. Your defense, when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes, can only bail you out so many times. And I know that a couple of weeks ago, I said that Lamar Jackson... Is the best quarterback in the NFL. He's better than Mahomes. 
And I, I do take accountability for looking like a damn fool making that comment. But what I meant by that statement is that Lamar Jackson is more talented than Patrick Mahomes just from a pure talent standpoint. There's not a single throw that Mahomes can make that Lamar Jackson can't make. And there are a lot of plays that Lamar Jackson can make that Mahomes can't make. But at the end of the day, you don't need to be the most athletically gifted quarterback to win the Super Bowl. You see what Mahomes excels at the most that Lamar Jackson lacks is having that killer instinct in the fourth quarter. Don't see it out of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, as great as he is, and how much the players on the defensive side fear him, if I was a defense and there was two minutes left in the game and Lamar Jackson had the ball in his hands, I wouldn't fear him at all. As a matter of fact, I would feel even more confident because you're telling me that Lamar Jackson has to go win the game for Baltimore, and that's something that I just don't think of when it comes to Lamar Jackson is him being clutch. And I love Lamar Jackson. I really hope that they get over the top. It really hurt me to see Lamar Jackson and the Ravens not get it done. I'm a diehard Lamar Jackson fan. I've been watching Lamar Jackson, rooting for him since his freshman season at Louisville. And I really wanted to see Lamar Jackson hoist that Lombardi trophy. Are they going to be in the conversation to do it again next year? Definitely. But with Joel Burrow coming back fully healthy, Aaron Rodgers coming back, Trevor Lawrence, him and Doug Peterson, if they can figure it out, they could be in that conversation. If Deshaun Watson ever comes close to looking like what he did when he was in Houston, the Browns are definitely going to be in that conversation. It's tough to get to the AFC Championship. And it's even tougher to have to do it getting through Patrick Mahomes. And even when you think Kansas City's down, they still find a way to overcome and find a way to still get back in the damn Super Bowl, man. This is like their fourth Super Bowl. They're about to win their third championship, most likely. Because I don't think that the 49ers are going to have what it takes to beat Kansas City. I have a lot of concerns about... the. <laughs> excuse me, their coaching staff and their defensive ability to get stops. You see, when you can give Mahomes time to throw, as long as he has somewhat decent receivers that can make plays like Rasheed Rice, you got a chance. When Kansas City got dominated in the Super Bowl by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2020, they had no protection for Mahomes up front in that game. The offensive line this season for Kansas City was less than ideal. Their offensive tackles were heavily penalized. The interior of their offensive line got worse as the season progressed. But in the postseason, this offensive line has played at the highest level that they've had since the season first started. So Mahomes and Kansas City getting this win didn't really surprise me. I wasn't expecting... Baltimore, if they were to win, the block Kansas City. I always thought that this game was going to be close. But I never would have thought that the Ravens offense would be a complete no-show. If anything, you would have thought that the defense would have been a no-show. And these cornerbacks for Kansas City were lights out tonight. Trent McDuffie, LeJarius Need, they were locked, they were locked down. Now, there were a good amount of calls that weren't made. I definitely do believe that there were a couple of holding calls, pass interference penalties on Kansas City secondary that should have gotten called, but they didn't. 
You could say it was rigged. You can you can call it bias all you want to, but at the end of the day, when you have a guy like Lamar Jackson at quarterback, you expect him to show up in these kinds of situations. You're down the touchdown. You need him to put you in position to tie the game up or to only make it a one-score game. Instead of you settling for three on your final possession offensively, that should have been you scoring a touchdown. Lamar Jackson, maybe he just is one of those players that just in the early stages of his career doesn't know how to win in the playoffs. I believe when the Ravens, if they ever get back to this game in the foreseeable future, they're going to have a better shot at winning it because they have the experience. They know what it feels like to be in this game and what it takes to win it. And you're not going to win it just getting rid of everything that got you to that point. You see, we're about to talk about the Lions 49ers game. Everybody is criticizing Dan Campbell for his aggressiveness on fourth down. But the reason why you can't get too mad at Dan Campbell for that is because his aggressiveness on fourth down is what got him to this point. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens rushing attack is why they've been able to go as far as what they have this season, plus with what they've done in the passing game. But for them to only give their running back six total carries combined in this game was really unexcusable out of a guy like Todd Munkin, who's one of the best play callers in the league. If the Ravens were to have an award that they give out to their top assistant, it would be a tie between Mike McDonald and Todd Munkin because both of these guys have been incredible this season for Baltimore. But Mike McDonald has been the better coordinator. His defense showed up. His defense has been consistent all year long for Baltimore. This offense, and even I've said it numerous occasions, I don't believe that they've played up to the level that they're capable of playing. This should be our offense that should at bare minimum be putting up 30, 33 points per game. But to only get stopped and only get to 10 points against a Kansas City defense that, yeah, it is pretty talented, but there's not a single position on your offense where you would just outmatch by Kansas City's defense. Kansas City, they had a great game plan. Steve Spagnola kept Lamar in the pocket. Lamar, he did make some good throws from inside the pocket. He had a nice touchdown to Zay Flowers for 30 yards where he broke out of a sack. He reset it in the pocket and he threw a dime to Zay Flowers. But when you keep Lamar in the pocket and you can lock down these receivers, nobody can get open. Where is he going to go? And then he isn't going to have anywhere to run. So the only place for Lamar Jackson to go to is down on the ground. Like Kansas City was sending so much pressure on Lamar Jackson that it was damn near impossible for him to have the opportunity to step up and find those big holes, to get those big 20, 30-yard runs. Those same runs that Lamar Jackson made against the Houston Texans in the divisional round, we didn't see him make too many of those big runs in this game against Kansas City. Like, they had him completely neutralized, and they had a way different game plan than what they had against Josh Allen. So, the Ravens, they were at home, and I was really confident that they were going to win this game. But I wasn't extremely confident that they were going to blow out Kansas City. Now, I was wrong. The majority of betters out there were wrong because many people took Baltimore money line. A lot of people thought that Kansas City was just so outmatched. And they weren't. 
Because when you got Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey, you always got a chance. And I know it sounds so cliche to say that because people used to say that all the time about Brady and his prime, but that's the truth. Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, they've been doing this for a very long time. They understand what it takes to win in a game like this. The Ravens don't. It's crazy how Lamar Jackson, the two times he's won MVP, it seems like they've disappointed in the postseason every year he's done it. I don't know if it's an MVP curse, but Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, like Buffalo, they're still searching for answers for how to get over the hump. You see how dominant Patrick Mahomes is right now? It's the same level of dominance that Michael Jordan had in his prime years with the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. The only time a team in the 90s won the NBA Finals was when Michael Jordan was out of the game when he was either playing baseball or not playing at all. But when MJ was on the court and he was playing for Chicago, you weren't going to win a championship. There's a reason why Jordan is undefeated in the NBA Finals, never had to go to a Game 7 to win, because he just has a different wiring. He just is a way different player when the moment is the biggest and the lights are the brightest. And that's what not only made MJ great, but that's what made Brady great. You see, Peyton Manning gets regarded as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but the difference between him and Tom Brady is that Brady was better in the playoffs because Peyton Manning in the postseason just didn't look all that great. And you can be an insanely talented quarterback, but just because you're talented doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to execute when your number gets called in these types of games, especially when you have to step up and you have to carry your team to the win. Mahomes has did something that not a lot of people believed he was going to be able to do. He was able to elevate an above average team to the Super Bowl. That's the difference between a guy like a Patrick Mahomes and a guy like a Dak Prescott or a Tua Tagovailoa. They need everything around them to win a championship. Patrick Mahomes, all he needs is a good offensive line, a, a good play caller, some decent receivers. And he can take you to a Super Bowl. Mahomes can do more with less. I was thinking that Patrick Mahomes not having the same supporting cast that Lamar Jackson had in this game would be a disadvantage. But it proved to be an advantage because this is the smartest that he's been playing in the playoffs. He's been better at picking his spots, picking when to push the issue, when to take certain risks. And he also has been doing a lot more on the ground than what he has done in recent memory. You know, this is a really big loss for the Baltimore Ravens fan base. This is a really disappointing game that we saw the Ravens play offensively. Lamar Jackson definitely shit the bed. I'll admit that as a diehard Lamar Jackson fan, I'll admit I was wrong. I definitely was. I definitely expected Lamar Jackson to come out here and have a historic performance, especially playing at home. But the offense, they just got away from the recipe. They got away from the secret formula. It's like they tried to switch things up in the biggest game of the season. Lamar Jackson threw the ball over 30 plus times. That's not really the way the Ravens win games. They're not really a team that's going to beat you just going completely all out passing. You got to be balanced. And they only had six handoffs to the running backs. That's unacceptable. You can't give your running backs only six carries 
against a team like Kansas City that you have to beat playing complimentary football and think that you're just going to beat this team just throwing it all over them. That's the strength of their team. The strength of Kansas City's defense is how good they are against the pass. They got a really good group of pass rushers led by Chris Jones. They got some outstanding corners. You know, I was just really shocked that Baltimore got away from what got them there. And that's why they lost this game. They didn't know who they are. They were frustrated on the sideline because they didn't know what the hell to do. Because no matter what they did, when they had a little bit of success, they weren't able to capitalize it. It, it just seemed like every time something was going right for Baltimore, they would do something self-inflicted to get them back going back in the wrong direction. Kansas City, they were composed. They had a game plan. They stuck to it. And that's why they're in the Super Bowl once again. So Kansas City wins another AFC championship. They're back in the Super Bowl. They potentially could go back-to-back, -back, something that hasn't been done in decades. And the Ravens, this is a giant letdown of a season. This was potentially the making of what could have been a historically great season for this Baltimore Ravens team. This may be the best team the Ravens have ever had to win the Super Bowl, but the best teams don't always win the Super Bowl every time in the NFL. Congratulations to Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs for ending the Ravens' dream season and ending my hopes of seeing Lamar Jackson win the Super Bowl this year. And I don't know if Lamar is ever going to win the Super Bowl, but it definitely feels like he missed a prime opportunity to take advantage of the moment and the position that the Ravens were in. Now, I do believe that they have a chance of getting back to this game. Every time Lamar Jackson is healthy, the Ravens are always in contention for the one seed. He does have one of the best win-loss records in the NFL. But, man, bruh, th this one is a tough one. Before I give you guys my thoughts on the NFC Championship, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Remember that we're not just a YouTube channel, we are a podcast, and you can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. Shout out to everybody in the comment section, man. My guy Courtney Miller says, give it a rest. He plays the ref half this paycheck. I know Brady played with a couple of deflated balls, but never in my life have I seen a team get handed so many things compared to the opposing team. I mean, like, you can't put this loss on the referees. You know, like, you got to give credit where credit is due. Kansas City just outplayed and outcoached Baltimore. Baltimore's offense didn't do anything. That was their worst performance all season long. And they only ran the ball off their running back six times. That's not Baltimore's formula for winning for winning games. And it's just so bamboozling to me that they get to the biggest game of the season and they get away from what got them there. You know, you I don't like Mahomes all that much. You know, I have nothing against them. But, you know, I'm a huge fan of Lamar Jackson. I was never the biggest fan of Brady, but always respect success. I always respect people that always rise to the occasion in big moments. And that's why, like, I never have anything bad to say about Mahomes. You know, I just thought that 
the Ravens were just the better team all around and Lamar Jackson was going to find a way to get it done, but it didn't happen that way. Now we got to talk about the NFC Championship. Oh my goodness. You want to talk about a way to give away a game? The Detroit Lions gave you the perfect blueprint for doing it. They go into halftime up 24-7. At that point, you think about the record that Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers have in games that they have to play from behind, and you feel really confident that Detroit is pretty much a lock to punch their ticket to Super Bowl 58. But what happens? They get outscored 27-7 in the second half. This defense couldn't stop the 49ers offense to save their life. Their offense couldn't get anything going, especially on the ground. Detroit had over 130-something rushing yards in the first half. David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, they were like sledgehammers every time they handed the football off to them. And then their defense was playing really well in the first half. You had the interception on Brock Purdy, which that resulted in you going up multiple possessions. You were able to get consistent pressure on them. You did a good job of balling up Christian McCaffrey. But what really changed the momentum of this game for me was when Detroit went for it on fourth down in the second half and they got that key drop from their wide receiver. And then the 49ers offense took advantage of the short field that Detroit had gifted them for Dan Campbell's aggressiveness, and that's really when the 49ers started to get in rhythm. And I thought that Dan Campbell's fourth down decision-making wasn't an issue. You know, yeah, in hindsight, you look at the outcome of this game and you say, well, JT, if he would have just opted for the two field goals, the game would have been a lot different. He left six points off the board, and that is true. But I felt that Dan Campbell made a mistake opting to kick the field goal before halftime instead of not just going ahead and trying to play for the touchdown. Why would you just go ahead and play for the field goal in that situation instead of the touchdown? It's like if you're going to be aggressive, go ahead and be aggressive before halftime. Because you see, you got to have a feel for when you should go for it and when you shouldn't go for it. And at that moment, Detroit had all the momentum on their side offensively. I'm more convinced that they would have gotten that touchdown if they would have went for it on fourth down before halftime than they would have in the second half when they went for it the two times because it just sent, it just felt like it was forced. And anytime it feels like you're forced to go for it on fourth down just because you have to keep the momentum on your side versus taking advantage of the momentum that you currently do have on your side, that's when you find yourself Failing in those fourth down situations more times than not. And that's what happened to Dan Campbell in Detroit in this game. And I don't think that the fourth down decision making was bad. What killed Detroit and why they weren't able to have more success on fourth down was the execution. You had a big drop on the first fourth down attempt that you made in the second half. Then on the second fourth down attempt, Jared Goff. The offensive line just fell apart and the 49ers pass rush got after him. So he had to get outside the pocket, outside the pocket, throwing the run. And he threw the ball into the dirt. And what about the Jameer Gibbs fumble? Once Jameer fumbled the football, that was ball game for me. Because all the momentum at that point had went to the 49ers sideline. You see, Dan Campbell, his decision making is going to be criticized for the majority of the offseason. But you have to do 
what got you here and what got Detroit in the NFC Championship where nobody thought they would be a year ago from this point is because of Dan Campbell rolling the dice and taking those risks. So you can't get mad at him for doing what has worked all year long. Yeah, it hurts that you weren't able to convert on those opportunities. And you could say that if he just would have kicked the field goal, he would have got the six points. But if he wasn't this aggressive, maybe Detroit isn't even playing in this game. So I'm not about to fault him for doing something that has worked for him all year long that's got him up to this point. It's easy to criticize something when it doesn't work, but nobody thinks about when it did work and how much of a role it played for Detroit making it to the NFC Championship. The reason why the fourth downs backfired is because they didn't execute. You don't game plan for a wide receiver to have big drops. You don't. And there were a good amount of drops in this game by Detroit's wide receivers in the second half. The offense just was off. And this 49ers defense, they were teeing off. That pass rush was getting active. Nick Bosa had two big sacks. And I mean, even the run defense. Detroit was gashing San Francisco on the ground all night long in the first half. Anytime they went to the run game, they were getting chunk plays. But in the second half, I don't know if... Steve Wilkes made some slight adjustments to the run fits that San Francisco had, but this just was a night and day difference with how San Fran played the run in the first half versus how they played in the second half. And when Detroit got pass heavy on the offense and they were moving the football and them not getting those field goals, it kept allowing the 49ers to stay in the game. And eventually when the 49ers got hot, that's when Detroit couldn't keep up and when you play a team like San Francisco and I was saying this to my friend I was watching the game with I was like man like they really should have attempted that touchdown before halftime because if they would have went in the halftime up 28-7 you feel way more confident about their ability to hold on to the league because with how Detroit's defense has played this season and how bad their secondary has been at times, there was no way I thought that they were going to be able to completely shut down San Francisco's offense in the second half. I was surprised that their defense even helped them to seven points at halftime. And with how their defense looked in the second half, that proved to be true. Dan Campbell, maybe you could argue that he should have been a little bit more aggressive in this game. Because when you know that your defense is starting to get a little bit tired a little bit fatigued and you got Chris McCaffrey who now is starting to get big body blows on your defense you gotta try to roll the dice so it's understandable why Dan Campbell made those decisions but you should have went for it before halftime and tried to go up 28-7 versus just being okay with going in a halftime 24-7 you were in proximity to get it it would have been somewhat the equivalent to going for a two-point conversion. It just made no sense to me to kick the field goal. If you're going to go up and you're going to be aggressive in the second half, you should keep that mentality for the whole entire game. You had the opportunity to get that touchdown before halftime, and it would have made this game so much differently. If you would have got that touchdown, and let's say you would have been in those two fourth down situations in the second half, up 28-7, to seven, then you more likely would have took the field goal in that game, and that would have been six points. 
and you would have been up 34-7 maybe. And maybe just how you called the game or how your coordinators calls the game changes. But San Francisco is one of those teams that they got so much talent on offense, your defense being able to slow them down and hold them to seven points is something that kind of is a phenomenon. Because you know eventually they're going to get going. Brock Purdy is not just a great game manager. All right, in this game in the second half, he showed that he's an elite quarterback. He was making big runs in third down situations with his legs. He was making big throws over the middle of the field. Say what you want to say about Brock Purdy not being the most physically gifted quarterback, not having the strongest arm. But this dude came through. In the biggest moments of the game for San Francisco, once again, when they were down, like they did last week against the Green Bay Packers. And how Jimmy G used to play in the full quarter of ball games when San Francisco was down, you never would have trusted him in a spot like this. And that's what makes Brock Purdy a so much different quarterback than what Jimmy Garoppolo ever was. That's why he's better. You can actually trust him to win you a game like this when you're down multiple possessions. The reason why Kyle Shanahan doesn't have a lot of success playing from behind is because he never has had a quarterback who he can trust to throw him back into the game until he was gifted Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy. He didn't have a super impressive box score or stat sheet in this game, but the throws that he made, like that big 51-yard prayer to Brandon Gayuk when it looked like it was going to be a pass interference penalty, it bounces off the defender, Brandon Gayuk catches it, and eventually it results in a touchdown. That was a great throw, but it was an even better play by Brandon Gayuk. Those are the kind of throws that Jimmy Garoppolo would have never made it in a spot like this. Jimmy G, the 49ers, when they had him as their starter in the playoffs in the past, you know what they did? They said that we want to run the football and only ask Jimmy G to throw the football when necessary. We want to put the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands as the least amount of times as possible. That's not the same game plan with Brock Purdy. They actually trust this dude to win games. And that's because he's an actually good quarterback. He's not a game manager. He's not a quarterback that's carried by the talent around him. Every quarterback needs to have talent to succeed. Jared Goff was throwing to Amar Ross St. Brown, Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, but which of these two quarterbacks looked better in the fourth quarter? Was it Brock Purdy or was it Jared Goff? It was Brock Purdy. Chris McCaffrey had some big runs, but it's not like he was running all over the Lions defense all night. They had him pretty bottled up in the first half. And even in the second half. You know, every yard that Chris McCaffrey got, Chris McCaffrey got, it's like he had to fight and claw for it. You know, the Detroit Lions had an incredible run this year. And I would even call them an underdog story. You think about the Lions and what was the perception about them before this past season started. Majority of people expected the Detroit Lions to be in the playoffs and possibly win the division. You just didn't know if they would go any further than the divisional round. They have a great future. All of their young players are fairly young. They dominated last year's draft. Hell, they've dominated their last two drafts. So they're set for the future. The only question is now, is Jared Goff going to be the guy that you keep around? 
You know, you're going to lock him up long term or you're going to go to Hendon Hooker. Who knows? But with what the Lions have in place, you expect them to be in the NFC championship picture for the next three to four years. This is just the beginning for the Detroit Lions. For Kyle Shanahan and San Francisco, the pressure was all on them. You know, Detroit kind of was playing with house money. The 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, they had the expectation of being in the Super Bowl before the year even kicked off. And if Kyle Shanahan would have lost this game, this would have took this would have been a massive hit to his legacy, to his resume. Because you think of why the 49ers haven't won a championship with all the talent they have and with how much regard Kyle Shanahan is held at, you would think that they would have had at least two Super Bowls by now. But the reason for that is because they haven't had a quarterback who's been able to step up in the full quarter when they've needed to throw the ball to win games. Brock Purdy didn't throw for 400, 500 yards, but he threw the ball well enough that he was able to help San Francisco crawl out of a big hole. They were down 24 to 7. They didn't look good in the first half. Like Detroit really kicked their ass. They really gave it to them straight up. And I was telling my friend, I was like, I don't know if the Lions are going to hold on to this, bro. Like, I'm not about to count out the 49ers. They're going to get rolling sooner rather than later. And every time the Lions were walking away with no points and they kept having those empty possessions, you kept on giving the San Francisco 49ers more chances to stay in the game. And eventually they got hot. The offense got rolling. And when Jameer Gibbs had that fumble, that's when Detroit lost all the momentum, and from that point forward, that's when the 49ers started to take this game by the throat. So the 49ers are going to their second Super Bowl under Kyle Shanahan. They're going to be playing against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City once again. I'm really excited to see how the second game between these two franchises is going to play out. We're going to talk about that later on. Now, before I give you guys my early thoughts on Super Bowl 58, we're going to hit on a couple of other topics. Bill Belichick is still not a head coach, which has a lot of people surprised. How is Michigan going to look post-Harbaugh with Sharon Moore now taking over as head coach? We're going to get into those two topics before I give you guys my early thoughts on the Super Bowl. If you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, check out the JT Sports Podcast, and follow your boy on all social media platforms, Instagram at JT Sports underscore, X at JT Sports underscore underscore. Send me a DM, send me a potential question that you would like answered on a future episode of the podcast. All right. Now let's segue to this. Many NFL fans are really surprised that a six-time Super Bowl champion coach still is unemployed. And when you think about the Atlanta Falcons deciding to hire Raheem Morris over Bill Belichick, you have to think that that was a terribly bad decision on the behalf of the Atlanta Falcons, choosing to go with a guy who hasn't proven to win at the NFL level over a guy who's won six championships, somebody who knows how to win and how to build up a team like the Atlanta Falcons that 
is in a really good situation right now. The Falcons aren't one of those teams that they're in need of a three, four-year rebuild. If they get the right head coach in there, they possibly could be a team that not only wins their division, but possibly could win a playoff game or two. And Bill Belichick, you would have thought that he would have been the ideal hire for Atlanta because their owner when they got rid of Arthur Smith, said that they were looking for a head coach who has proven the ability to win in the past. And Raheem Morris doesn't fit the criteria Bill Belichick does. But an angle that not a lot of people are looking at this thing is that maybe Bill Belichick just didn't feel like the Atlanta Falcons were the right hire for him. You see, when the Atlanta Falcons brought Bill Belichick in on the interview, it was reported that the Atlanta Falcons are interviewing Bill Belichick. But really, Bill Belichick could have been the one interviewing the Atlanta Falcons to see if it was the kind of job that he was comfortable enough with taking because he's only 71 years old and he's not getting any younger. He knows that his years of being able to coach are going down by the day. And if he wants to try to catch Coach Shula and be the most winningest coach in NFL history, he needs to go into a situation that gives him the ability to win as fast as possible. And the Atlanta Falcons weren't really the team for that. They're a team that was built to have a little bit of success, but they were never going to be a team that Bill Belichick was going to take over and they were automatically going to become Super Bowl contenders. And Bill Belichick... He hasn't really interviewed with too many other teams, which leads me to believe that it wasn't teams that weren't interested in bringing him in. It was just Bill Belichick just wasn't, inter wasn't interested in coaching for those other teams. I'm pretty sure if Bill Belichick wanted that Carolina Panthers job, he could have gotten it. Same thing with the Tennessee Titans job and a bunch of other jobs that were available out there that he didn't interview for. But you see, when you're Bill Belichick, and you're someone who has won, having a lot of power, you're going to want to have a say in how your roster is built. You're not going to want to have to go to a team where you're going to have to answer to somebody. You're 71 years old. You're a six-time Super Bowl champion. You're regarded as the greatest head coach in the history of the NFL. Why should you have to answer to somebody? And as an owner, it's hard Having to give up that amount of control to a guy like Bill Belichick, telling your GM, hey, Bill's in, you're going to have to answer to him, that's tough. And when you bring in a guy like Belichick, who hasn't been able to show the consistent ability to win without Tom Brady, you kind of have a little bit of concern because you're like, okay, like we know you're great on defense, we know what you have done in the past, but what have you done since Brady? Are you going to be able to find Another great quarterback that can make sure that your offense is sustainable. We know that Josh McDaniels is a really good coordinator. He's not a good head coach, and that's who you're going to bring in to call the plays on the offense. But we don't know if you can find us the right quarterback. And Bill Belichick is also one of those coaches that he's old school. He's all about being physical, disciplining these players. And when you're searching for a new team, if you're an owner... You think a little bit twice about hiring a guy like Bill Belichick because you think about how is he going to be able to connect with a younger roster, which the Atlanta Falcons have. The Tennessee Titans roster needs to get a lot younger. The LA Chargers have a roster that's a little bit of a mix of both. And when I'm an NFL team that's considering looking to bring in a new head coach, 
I probably would rather bring in a younger guy like a Ben Johnson or Raheem Morris versus bringing in a guy like Bill Belichick. You see, Bill Belichick is only a good coach for a team that needs to win right away. If the Dallas Cowboys job or the Philadelphia Eagles head coaching job became available, those would have been better destinations for a guy like Bill Belichick as opposed to the Washington Commanders or Atlanta Falcons who are teams that are a little bit younger who need a younger head coach versus an older head coach who is trying to chase the ghost of the greats. And when you're trying to coach... And when you're trying to chase the goats of the NFL when it comes to coaching, you need a team and a franchise that allows you to do that as fast as possible. Bill Belichick, he probably didn't want to go to a place that needed a little bit of a rebuild. He probably was looking at a situation that already had quarterback, already figured out, already had a little bit of talent. They just haven't been able to achieve with it. That, that's why a lot of people thought that he was going to go to Dallas if they fired Mike McCarthy or if the Eagles would have pulled the trigger with Nick Sirianni. I expect Bill Belichick to probably take a television job. I saw when he, <coughs> excuse me, I saw when he did ESPN College game day for the Army-Navy game and I was really blown away with how much charisma Bill Belichick has. I think he would be an awesome commentator if, C if CBS, NBC, or Fox are looking to pick somebody up. Hell, I would love to see Tom Brady and Bill Belichick calling plays in the booth for Fox. Do you know how epic that would be? So Bill Belichick, he probably won't get hired by another team this year, even though Seattle would be a perfect fit. They got a fairly young team, but... It's not a young team that is like Atlanta where maybe they need to get the quarterback right. Maybe they need to rebuild a couple of areas. Like the Seattle Seahawks are a young team that's built to win right now. I don't get why they wouldn't give Bill Belichick a call, but they want to keep the same energy in the building that Pete Carroll used to bring when he was the head coach. And Bill Belichick is the polar opposite of what Pete Carroll is. Pete Carroll is highly energetic. And Bill Belichick is more, you know, I'm not going to say he's conservative with his energy, but he's more methodical. He's more meticulous with how he does things. And he takes a more business-oriented approach. You know, you're not going to hear Bill Belichick cracking a lot of jokes with the players. And he doesn't get along with the media neither. So Bill Belichick, he'll be 72 years old around this time next year. Is there going to be a team that's going to be willing to invest in Bill Belichick as a head coach despite how up there he is in age? If I'm the Dallas Cowboys and I'm Jerry Jones or I'm Philadelphia and I'm looking to find me a head coach who can win right now, I hire him. He immediately makes me a Super Bowl contender is Bill Belichick. But how many teams had jobs like that available? Not too many outside of Seattle. In the LA Chargers, all of the other available jobs like the Carolina Panthers, the Tennessee Titans, they weren't jobs that Bill Belichick was going to be super excited to take because they are jobs that require rebuilds. And even with the Tennessee Titans, Rand Carthon runs that organization. Yeah, they hired Brian Callahan, but he's picking the coaching staff. He's assembling the team. Like, he just has complete control over everything with the Tennessee Titans. Bill Belichick 
that wouldn't have been a great situation for him because that's the same reason Mike Vrabel got fired. Mike Vrabel got fired because it was a power struggle between him and Rand Carthon. And the Atlanta Falcons, they got a fairly young team with some really nice young pieces, but not enough to really entice a guy like Bill Belichick and say, oh, yeah, I need this job because if you get me right away, we're going to be Super Bowl contenders. The only job that I thought Bill Belichick really was the perfect fit for outside of Atlanta was the LA Chargers because they already have a roster that's tailor-made to compete instantly. But if you can get a guy like Jim Harbaugh over Bill Belichick, who's a little bit younger and doesn't have the resume that Bill Belichick has quite in the NFL, but Jim Harbaugh has a pretty good resume that you know, you look at and you say, you know, we'd rather take you over Bill Belichick because he's 71 years old. And plus, we know that you can win everywhere. Bill Belichick, we don't know if he can win everywhere. The only place that he's been able to win at has been New England. It's a little bit shocking that no team has hired Bill Belichick. It really is. Because with everything that he's accomplished, you would think that every team would have been lining up, fighting for the opportunity to interview Bill Belichick to become their potential head coach. But with his age, the fact that he still needs to have a good amount of say and, you know, certain decisions that he can make with the team. He needs a certain amount of control because he is going to be 72 years old. Why would a 72-year-old who has... Six Super Bowl rings on his finger be answering to somebody who's four decades younger than him. You know, it's kind of hard to tell somebody what they need and try to tell somebody how to build a team when you've been around way less than what they have. So it's a little bit surprising that no team has hired Bill Belichick, but I think a large reason why he hasn't been hired is because, one, he doesn't see the situation that fits him. And two, maybe he just has chosen just to not be coaching a team right now. Maybe they just aren't the best, the best fits for him. It's easy to think that these teams are interviewing Bill Belichick, but really, how many of these interviews were Bill Belichick interviewing the owner to see if it was a situation that he wanted to walk into and wanted to coach? Because if you're Bill Belichick, you got to be really picky with who you're going to end up coaching for your last ever job. Because if you pick the wrong spot and it doesn't work out, that's going to be the last opportunity you ever have of not only being able to coach in the NFL, but also being able to chase the ghosts of Coach Shula and being able to really submit yourself as the greatest head coach in this sport. Jim Harbaugh is one of those people that he leaves things in a better place than what he founded. When he first got hired by Stanford, they went from being irrelevant bottom feeders on the West Coast who people only known for academics to being a powerhouse on the West Coast. And then he leaves, and David Shaw takes over, who was his assistant coach on the staff, I believe he was his OC. David Shaw takes what Jim Harbaugh built up at Stanford when he left for the 49ers and continued to make sure that Stanford was one of the best teams, not just in the Pac-12, but in that area of the country in college football. Jim Harbaugh, what makes him such a great coach isn't just because he is really good at making sure that he has a disciplined and physical team, but also because he's a great CEO head coach. And being a great CEO head coach means that you always make great hires when it comes to your coaching staff. And with Sharon Moore being named the new head coach of Michigan football, 
Michigan is perfectly aligned to maintain their dominance in the Big Ten. There's not going to be too many players that are going to transfer away from Michigan with Sharon Moore being promoted to full-time head coach because all of these players probably had some sort of connection to Sharon Moore before they even arrived to Michigan. So it's not like you're getting a head coach who you know nothing about. Sharon Moore already said in his press conference that he's not going to change too much philosophy-wise with how this program's run and their style play. They're still going to be a smash-mouth physical football team, but he possibly could make Michigan football better than what it was under Jim Harbaugh. I know that's a crazy concept to think about, but remember when Urban Meyer stepped down and he handed the keys off to Ryan Day? Well, the recruiting at Ohio State has been better under Ryan Day than what it was under Urban Meyer. Now, Ohio State may be lacking in certain areas under Ryan Day now than what they were with Urban Meyer, but you can get a head coach who can sit behind a guy like Jim Harbaugh, get groomed to become the successor, and potentially the guy who becomes the successor could potentially exceed the master. Michigan hasn't recruited at a consistently elite level. At least not at the top 10, top 8, top 7 level consistently. Sharon Moore, he could be somebody who could take Michigan's recruiting to a level that we've never seen before. Because you got to remember that the last two, three off seasons, when it came to National Signing Day, these recruits didn't know if Jim Harbaugh was still going to be with the team when they committed or if he was going to be jumping for the NFL. Now that you have a head coach that you know is going to be there and he's not going anywhere, he's not going to leave for anywhere, it should make recruiting a lot easier because now you don't have to reassure these recruits that, oh, yeah, I'm going to be here. Like, you're Sharon Moore. I... I'm going to be here. I'm not going to the NFL. I'm not leaving for another job. So it gives these commits less things that they have to think about in terms of if their head coach is going to be committed to not just them, but to staying with the program, not jumping for what they perceive to be a better job. And two, you know, Jim Harbaugh is a great CEO head coach and he's a pretty good recruiter. But what makes Jim Harbaugh such a great coach is he's a better talent developer than he is a recruiter you see Michigan has always recruited at a pretty decent level even prior to Jim Harbaugh getting there the problem is that they weren't able to take the guys that they got and turn them into high NFL draft picks like Jim Harbaugh has done Sharon Moore he should be pretty good at developing these players because the staff is probably going to have some some small changes. I'm not expecting Sharon Moore to have to hire an entirely new staff. There are going to be guys who follow Jim Harbaugh to the to the NFL. I believe defensive coordinator Jesse Minter is most likely going to be his defensive coordinator for the Chargers because Jesse Minter is an NFL guy. But all the other coaches, I think, have a good chance of staying. And even then, Sharon Moore, since he was groomed by Jim Harbaugh, if he's anything like what David Shaw was at Stanford, he should know what he wants in his assistant coaches. He should know what he wants out of his offensive coordinator. And these players, they've played at a high level under Sharon Moore. All right, yeah, he was an interim head coach and it wasn't fully his team, but I don't have no questions about how prepared this program is going to be in big games under Sharon Moore. They won their biggest games of the season against their rival Ohio State 
They beat Penn State. They won a tough road game against Maryland without Jim Harbaugh being on the sideline with Sharon Moore. Sharon Moore, he was responsible for making sure that the team's morale stayed up and they rallied behind Sharon Moore as the head coach. You know, there was a lot of emotion that came out of Sharon Moore when they got that win over Penn State when they ran the ball a million bajillion times straight to end that game. That's a mindset. That's a mentality. And the mentality that Jim Harbaugh has instilled in Michigan is still going to be carried on and so forth by Sharon Moore. He's everything that Jim Harbaugh was, although a little bit different in certain areas. You know, Jim Harbaugh had a really unique personality. He wasn't for everybody. And sometimes he could be one of those coaches that you either love him or you hate him. But Sharon Moore seems like a pretty universally like God by everybody and now you got the NCAA who probably is going to put a couple of penalties on you but I don't think it should be anything that should be anything remotely close to what we saw when the NCAA really put their hammer down back in the early days of college football with SMU and everything that they had going on so regardless of the penalties that Michigan gets dished out by the NCAA I believe Sharon Moore is going to be able to overcome them just because this team bought into him when he was the interim head coach. They could have made Jesse Minter the interim head coach. And the fact that he went 3-0 against some of the biggest programs, not just in the Big Ten, but in college football. Penn State was a top 10 team this year. Same thing with Ohio State. And he beat those squads being the head coach on the sidelines. Now, it's a lot different. When you're not going to have Jim Harbaugh around and you got to come up with the game plan by yourself and you're going to have to run the practice and manage the players and all that. But I don't think it's going to be nothing that Sharon Moore isn't going to be able to handle. Is there a lot of pressure on him to maintain what Jim Harbaugh built? Yes, there is. But if David Shaw was able to maintain Stanford for a couple of years after Jim Harbaugh left, there's no reason why Sharon Moore shouldn't be able to do the same at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh has a really good eye for hiring good assistant coaches. And Sharon Moore, if he wasn't going to be the head coach at Michigan, he definitely was going to be the head coach somewhere else at a big time program. And it was going to be power five. And there wasn't too many candidates out there that you could have said would have been a better fit than what Sharon Moore already is with Michigan. He already knows the program. There already is a culture set in place that he is going to continue to carry on and run. But Michigan, I don't expect them to fall off with Sharon Moore replacing Jim Harbaugh. Post Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, I'm expecting it to be better than what it was during the Harbaugh era. Because the Harbaugh era was never about, you know, bringing in the most talented players. It was all about for the first couple of years, trying to find an identity. You remember when Jim Harbaugh went with the old smash mouth way of offense and then he couldn't get the defense right. And then when he finally got the right defense, he had to figure out the right offense to run. He went between the spread offense with Shea Patterson to going back to the basics and getting back to what worked, getting back to what was Michigan football. And that's being physical, being styled up front. And Sharon Moore, being like an offensive line coach or specializing in that particular area, Michigan should still be a tough football team, and they really should should still have some of the better offensive lines in college football under him. And if you can win up front, which is what you got to be able to do to win consistently in the Big Ten, then you should still be able to have success. Now, when it comes to skill position, 
you know, he's going to have to improve that area. But with recruiting improving, with Sharon Moore being the head coach, knowing that you're going to have stability there, knowing that if you're a recruit and you go to Michigan and you plan on honoring your three, four years there, you know that Sharon Moore is going to be along with you on the journey. And you don't have to worry about him flirting with the NFL every offseason. I know that I had to put a damper on what Michigan wanted to do recruiting-wise. I don't even know how they were even able to consistently bring in top 25 classes when every offseason Jim Harbaugh's future was was always up in the air. The difference between Ohio State and Michigan is talent. But when it comes to philosophy, when it comes to the culture that Michigan has built, that hasn't changed. And this is the same head coach that beat Ryan Day last year on the sideline. So why can't he continue the streak? I wouldn't be surprised if we see Michigan continue to dominate Ryan Day and Ohio State's Buckeyes for at least another two, three seasons because Ohio State just doesn't have the toughness that Michigan has. You know, the thing with Ryan Day and Ohio State is that they just don't have enough juice. They're not amped up anytime they play Michigan. Michigan, when you play this team, not only are you about to play in a 60-minute football game, but you're about to go to war. You're about to go to battle. This team is about to bruise, battle you, beat you to a pulp. They're trying to play bully ball, and Ohio State just doesn't have that mentality that they're ready to handle, or they know how to be the team that just wants to bully them around. You know, Ohio State has always been more of a finesse team to me than they are a physical team to me. And that's why Sharon Moore remaining the head coach at Michigan. I believe that there are a lot of traditions that he's going to continue to carry on. And there are certain things that he's going to make better with the program, such as recruiting. So I'm really high on what post-Harbaugh Michigan looks like with Sharon Moore being the full-time head coach. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, we've been waiting all year long for this. And it's finally here. The question that we've been asking is about to get answered. Who's going to win the big one? Who's taking home the Lombardi Trophy in Super Bowl 58? We got a Super Bowl rematch between the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. The last time these two teams met in the Super Bowl, Jimmy Garoppolo outplayed Patrick Mahomes for three quarters and seven minutes until Mahomes and his Chiefs offense just came alive the last seven minutes in the full quarter, and they ultimately came back and beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Are we going to see the Kansas City Chiefs go back-to-back? Is Kyle Shanahan once again going to have a Super Bowl meltdown? Kansas City wasn't even expected by most people to even get to the Super Bowl this year. Their offense struggled for the majority of the season, but then all of a sudden, the playoffs get here, and they just flip a switch. And for certain teams like Kansas City, once they get to the playoffs, they're playing a different brand of football than what they are in the regular season. Certain teams just seem to elevate their style of play when the lights are the brightest, when the moments are the biggest. And that's what this Chiefs team has done in this playoff run. Mahomes is playing at a level that we've never seen him play at. And I know it's crazy to say that because there's been so many seasons that Patrick Mahomes has put on display that have been better statistically than what we've seen out of him this year. But against the Buffalo Bills, he was completely flawless. Against the Baltimore Ravens, he was damn near flawless. Yeah, the Ravens defense definitely gave that Chiefs offense a challenge. 
But that's the toughest defense that the Chiefs are going to face all year long because you look at this 49ers defense, and yeah, they came alive in the second half against the Detroit Lions, but we can't forget that they were down 24-7 at halftime. This is still a 49ers defense that they don't have a great run defense, and they don't really have a great secondary. When you can protect your quarterback against this 49ers pass rush, and you can make sure that Nick Bosa, Chase Young, and Arik Armstead don't wreck the game, this defense can get had in the passing game. And we've seen Patrick Mahomes make no mistakes with the football. He's being really smart when it comes to picking his spots, when to be aggressive, when to take what the defense gives him. And he's been more of a willing runner during this Super Bowl or postseason run than what we've seen him look like in years past. So this is a Super Bowl that is going to go either way. The 49ers on paper look like the better team, but you can't say the 49ers are going to win this game all because they're more talented on paper because the best teams that have won the Super Bowl in the past haven't always been able to play up to it. You see, the best teams that win the Super Bowl don't just win it because they have stacked rosters. It's also because they have just as good coaching. The Patriots teams that won their last three Super Bowls with the Tom Brady-Belichick era down there in New England, weren't all that talented. They were good defensively, but they weren't stout offensively. You know, this was the same Patriots dynasty or franchise that lost to the New York Giants, some of the NFL's biggest underdog stories, when they had Randy Moss in his prime and Wells Walker in his prime and Tom Brady in his prime and still lost. So the best team doesn't always win in the Super Bowl necessarily. Kansas City, they haven't won all because they've been better than everybody else that they played. They've won because, for one, they got outstanding defense. And two, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Travis Kelsey, Isaiah Pacheco, Rasheed Wrights have all been consistent for them on offense. Anytime they need a big play, on offense, they go to one of those three guys. And it's worked out for them. And they've showed that with good coaching and being disciplined and being able to elevate their level of play in the big moments that you can't count them out. And it's crazy how the point spread for this game just changed in front of my eyes. Before I started recording this, the 49ers were a two-and-a-half point favorite. Now they've only dropped down to a one-and-a-half point favorite. You see, talent isn't the reason why the 49ers can be viewed as the favorite in this game. Because Kansas City, the last three teams that they just beat to get to this point, have all been perceived to be more talented than them. The Dolphins had a better team on paper, we thought. The Bills had a better team on paper, we thought. And the Baltimore Ravens, we thought were going to be the front runners to win it all. And they were able to upset them on the road when Baltimore placed their best football on the road at home. So when you go on the road to Baltimore, more times than not, you're about to get embarrassed. And this is the same Baltimore team that embarrassed the 49ers on Christmas. You can't judge Kansas City from the team that they were in the regular season. You have to judge them for the team that they are right now. And they're a better version of themselves than what they were when we saw them in the regular season. The 49ers, offensively, they have everything that they need to have success against Kansas City's defense. My only question is, is Brock Purdy finally going to put all of the doubters, all of the naysayers to bed? Because this is the game that is going to define Brock Purdy's legacy 
for the foreseeable future. Brock Purdy wins the Super Bowl. The whole narrative about him is going to completely change. Yeah, people still may say that he was carried by the talent around him, but people are going to show him way more respect than what they did. Jimmy Garoppolo, you remember the last Super Bowl that these two teams played when Jimmy Garoppolo missed that big throw to Emmanuel Sanders that could have potentially put the game on ninth for San Francisco? That throw is what defined Jimmy Garoppolo for the rest of his time. He was the starting quarterback for San Francisco. Everybody from that point forward looked at him as a really good game manager, a really good quarterback, but not good enough to elevate your team. If Brock Purdy has the same moment in this game, people are going to look at Brock Purdy for what Cam Newton feels he is, a game manager. But if Brock Purdy is able to step up in the big moments and carry this team to a win, like how he has the last two weeks against the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round and the Detroit Lions in the NFC Championship when they were down 24-7 and a half, then the whole narrative about Brock Purdy is going to be completely different. People are now going to regard this man as a not only a great quarterback, but a true franchise-changing quarterback who the 49ers were blessed to get after they had made one of the biggest draft mistakes of all time, giving up all that capital to get Trey Lance, who isn't even on the team anymore. Brock Purdy, what he does in this game is going to define what the narrative is going to be for his career, for the foreseeable future, until he can get to this game again and potentially win it if he doesn't get it done in this go-around. And think about what's on the line for Kansas City. This could be the third Super Bowl of the Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid era, which will put them, without a doubt, in that dynasty conversation. Not only would it put them in a conversation with the New England Patriots, with Brady and Belichick, but they'll also be in a conversation with those MJ, Michael Jordan-led Chicago Bulls teams, with the NBA Finals during the 90s when they three-peated twice. Or the New England Patriots, you know, when they had success their first go around in the early 2000s with the Brady Belichick era, or even the Golden State Warriors with the dynasty that they had with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, when both of those two guys were in their prime. And then when they got Kevin Durant, Kansas City has the opportunity to enrich themselves and sports history, not just in NFL history, cementing themselves as a dynasty, but cementing themselves as an all-time great dynasty in sports. Patrick Mahomes could solidify himself as one of the greatest players to ever play the game of football with the win here. And I'm not talking about as a quarterback, I'm talking about top 10 player of all time in league history, a Super Bowl win with dual form. Because think about it, he already has two. Imagine him having three, and he's not even 30. And then if he could get three more, which he definitely has a possibility to do, he could become the greatest player of all time. There is a lot of things on the line when it comes to legacy for both of these two teams. Hell, think about Kyle Shanahan. The last couple of times he's made it to the Super Bowl as the head coach or offensive coordinator, they've come close to victory, but they fell apart in the fourth quarter. You know, Kyle Shanahan is one of the greatest offensive minds in recent history. And with the Super Bowl win here, he could solidify himself as the same level of what a head coach is, like a guy like Andy Reid and Sean McVay are. Sean McVay and Andy Reid are held in 
historical regard. And Kyle Shanahan deserves to be in that conversation. He just doesn't have the Super Bowl to get there. He's been to numerous conference championship games. He went to the Super Bowl when he was the OC for Atlanta, and he lost that game mainly due to his play calling. Are the 49ers going to put emphasis on running the hell out of Chris McCaffrey? Are they going to make sure that they do what got them there or what got them in this game? There are way too many times that I've seen Kyle Shanahan in these types of Super Bowl matchups, just when the game is on the line in the full quarter, the play calling just absolutely look terrible. This is a big game for both of these two teams when it comes to legacy-wise. Kansas City wants to submit themselves as a dynasty in sports, and the San Francisco 49ers want to try to recapture that championship glory that they haven't had since the Steve Young and Joe Montana days. And Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan have to solidify themselves as the two top guys or two of the top guys at the respective positions. Kyle Shanahan could solidify himself as a top three coach in the league. And Brock Purdy could solidify himself as a top five, top seven quarterback in the NFL right now. Brock Purdy was to have an all-time great Super Bowl performance in this matchup, and he wins Super Bowl MVP, then how could you call him a game manager? Even if Brock Purdy wins this Super Bowl and for the rest of his career, he just reverts to being average, above average, he would be viewed in a way different regard than what he would be without a Super Bowl. Think about how people talk about Joe Flacco or Eli Manning. Joe Flacco wasn't perceived to be an elite quarterback in most people's eyes. And Eli Manning only had, what, three, four seasons out of his multi-year, decade-long career where he was a top 10 quarterback? What separated Eli Manning and Joe, Joe Flacco is that in these kinds of games, you knew that you were always going to get their best. And that's what we got to see out of Brock Purdy. For all of the Brock Purdy stands who get tired of guys like Ryan Clark and Cam Newton trying to undermine his success because of where he was drafted, this is the game. This is the moment for Brock Purdy to show everybody why he truly is a unicorn. You just don't draft a quarterback like Brock Purdy, the final pick of the draft, and it just be, oh, he's only in this spot because he's carried by the team around him without having something different about you. You got to remember, last year when he, when we first heard about this guy against the Miami Dolphins, well, not last year, but the season before last, he was the four-string quarterback to start the season. He had no time, no practice, no chemistry with the first-team offense, and yet he came in that game against the Miami Dolphins, and he's been one of the most dominant quarterbacks in the league statistically. He's had one of the best win-loss records since he has taken over the reins as QB1 in San Francisco. So a win here would definitely change how many people view Brock Purdy. And if he wins a Super Bowl and balls out, hell, maybe people would start to believe that he's the second coming of, you know, Tom Edward Brady or Tom Patrick Brady, whatever his middle name is. You know, there's already people like myself who kind of want to say he could be in a little bit of that Brady range because you don't find a guy this good every day, the last pick of the draft. The last pick of the draft is called Mr. Relevant for a reason. It's a meme. Nobody takes it seriously. Nobody expects anything out of a guy who's the last pick of the draft. Hell, they have a parade for it because it's such a meme. Nobody takes it seriously, but Brock Purdy winning this Super Bowl could change a lot, not just for how people view 
game managers, but for how the whole entire league views the quarterback position. You got people now in the NFL who believe that you need a superstar quarterback to be able to win a championship. You need to have a guy who has the arm strength of a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes and the athleticism as a Lamar all coupled in one. And that's why we've had these all-time big busts like Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. Guys trying to find that next Patrick Mahomes, that next Lamar Jackson, and they end up whiffing that quarterback because those quarterbacks just don't have the ability to play at a high level in the NFL. You went with Brock Purdy. You look at a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo or a guy like a Kirk Cousins or Dak Prescott, and you say, okay, if the 49ers can win with Brock Purdy, why the fuck can't we win with you? You're like a good, above-average quarterback. You're like a top 10, top 12 quarterback. You're not the most talented, but if Brock Purdy can win not being the most talented, why can't you? So Brock Purdy can win. You're now starting to hear people talking about how Maybe you don't need to have a superstar quarterback to win. All you need is a good enough quarterback with a great team around them to be successful. So these are my early thoughts on Super Bowl 58. Let me know your early thoughts on this game down in the comment section down below. And this is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you enjoy, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Remember that we're not just a YouTube channel. We are a podcast. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. The JT Sports Podcast is available. And I will see you guys Tuesday night with another episode.